This homily is about three mountains. Three mountains. The first one is Mount Tabor. That's where tradition holds that the transfiguration that we read about in today's gospel took place. Mount Tabor is uh, it's an impressive place when you see it. It sits kind of like an inverted bowl in the Jezreel Valley in Israel, otherwise known as the Valley of Armageddon. You might be more familiar with, with that name. So that's where we're talking about. And it sits like a bowl there in the middle of the valley. It, it rises up 1,800 feet above the valley surface. So it's not very high as far as mountains go. I mean, our mountains around here are higher, but it's, it's just very steep because it kind of comes out from nowhere. If you've ever been to Stone Mountain in Georgia, it reminds me of that a little bit. It's like it has no business being there. Here's this big, big peak. And it's very steep, as I said, and it kind of rises abruptly from the valley floor. So it's a challenge to climb up to the top. It's even a challenge to drive up there today because the roads to get to the top are so steep and winding that the, the tourist buses that people take can't handle the hairpin curves. And so they have to park down at the bottom and you got to get off the bus and then get on these smaller little shuttles that can handle the curves and take you up to the top and crazy drivers whip around the curve and you, you're convinced that you're going to meet Jesus before you get to the top. <laughs> People hang glide off of the top of Mount Tabor. That gives you an idea of just how high and steep it is. So you can imagine that it was quite a trek for Jesus to take Peter, James, and John to the top of this mountain on foot. And to give you a little bit of context, they had just come from Caesarea Philippi. You know, that's where Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you know, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus promised to build his church on the rock of Peter and give him the keys to the kingdom. Now Caesarea Philippi is about 40 miles away from Mount Tabor, and the gospel says they made that journey in six days. Now I don't know about you, but the last thing that I would want to do after a week-long 40-mile hike is to climb up a steep mountain. But that's what Jesus selected Peter, James, and John for. Sometimes I wonder if the other apostles were jealous that they didn't get asked to go on this special little field trip, you know. But then at times I think they were probably relieved that they got to sit, <laughs> sit at base camp and rest, you know. But why did Jesus make them go that extra mile, that extra effort to get to the top. Well, after Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi, the gospel says that's when Jesus began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man had to suffer and to die and rise from the dead. And Peter didn't like that idea. He said, God forbid, Lord, no such thing will ever happen to you. And Jesus' response is, get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle to me. You are not thinking as God does, but as human beings do. Isn't it amazing how fast you can go from you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, 
to get behind me, Satan. But Jesus was right. Peter was thinking as human beings do. And we human beings, we don't like the idea of suffering and death. We just naturally recoil from it. And that's why Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the top of the mountain to elevate their perspective and to prepare them for what he knew was to come. Throughout history, God has demonstrated a preference for revealing himself on mountaintops. He revealed himself to Moses on Mount Sinai and to Elijah in the same place. I don't know, maybe it's because you have a wider perspective from the top of a mountain. Or maybe it's because it takes work to get up there. But whatever the case, Jesus is following this same divine pattern by taking this inner circle of his disciples to the mountaintop to reveal his glory to them. So after doing all that hard work of climbing up to the top, you can imagine that the three of them were just worn out and exhausted and weary. And in that very moment of weariness, Christ pulls back the veil and shows his true face shining like the sun. And if the witness of their own eyes weren't enough, there's Moses, Moses and Elijah there with Jesus testifying that this is the one that the law and the prophets foretold. And if even that is not enough, they hear the Father's own voice saying, this is my beloved Son. And this is all done to strengthen their faith against the hardship of what was to come so that they might know the divinity of Christ even when they see him beaten and broken and hanging from a cross. And that brings us to the second mountain, one called Calvary or Golgotha, the place of the skull in Jerusalem. It's just outside the city walls in Jesus' day. Now, Jerusalem itself is high up in the mountains of Judea that rise up to over 3,300 feet, so big mountains. And Jerusalem is situated among seven different peaks, including the Mount of Olives and Mount Zion and Mount Moriah, and all these names should be familiar to us. Mount Moriah is where God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, and where Abraham uttered, those prophetic words, God himself will provide the lamb. It's the same mountain where Solomon built the temple to house the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God dwelt in the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies. Mount Zion nearby is where Jesus celebrated the Last Supper, that Passover Meal, that unusual Passover meal where instead of a sacrificial lamb, there was unleavened bread which Jesus blessed and broke and said, This is my body which will be given for you, making himself the lamb of the sacrifice. And then the Mount of Olives is where Jesus would be arrested and where his passion would begin, a passion that would take him up to the top of that hill of Calvary, 
the lamb being led to slaughter. You know, compared to all of these other mountains that I just mentioned, Calvary's not very high. It's just a little hill, but it's the most difficult one to climb. We make that journey to Calvary with the Lord anytime we pray the Stations of the Cross or the Sorrowful Mysteries of the Rosary. What we see at the top of Calvary is a far cry from the glory of the Transfiguration. Instead of clothes that are dazzlingly white, Christ is stripped naked and covered with blood. Instead of a face shining like the sun, his face is swollen and unrecognizable, almost inhuman. There's no glory, no honor, seemingly no power. Yet it's the same man. It's the same Christ. It's the same God. That's what our faith asks us to believe, that the Jesus hanging from a cross on Calvary is the same Jesus transfigured in glory on Mount Tabor. Two very different views from the tops of two different mountains, but the same God. Just like Jesus took his chosen disciples to the top of Mount Tabor with him, he does not ascend to Calvary alone. He brings us with him. He tells all of those who would be his disciples, that's you and me, if you would be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. This is the third mountain. It's the mountain that you and I must climb. This mountain is not on any map. It's the mountain of Christian discipleship. You find it here in the human heart. This is the dwelling place of the Lord. If you're a baptized Christian in the state of grace, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in you. You are a temple, and temples are built on mountaintops. Our way of life as Christians is to ascend up this mountain. Just like God called Abram out of Ur, we have to travel to a land that God will show us. This mountain is spoken of in the 24th Psalm when it asks, who can climb the mountain of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Who indeed? Who can climb that mountain with Jesus? Who can approach the temple and enter into the holy of holies that is Calvary? Who can bear his suffering? Or who can bear his glory for that matter? Psalm 24 gives us the answer. The man with clean hands and pure heart, who desires not worthless things, and who has not sworn to deceive his neighbor. He can climb the mountain of the Lord. Who is he? Who is the man with clean hands and pure heart? Well, it can be no other than the perfect man, Jesus Christ, the one of whom we hear the Father saying, with him I am well pleased. So to ascend to the top of this mountain, we have to yoke ourselves to him, like mountain climbers working in tandem 
I'm sure you've seen it done, right? One's tied to the other. The experienced climber always goes first, the one who knows the way. He goes out ahead, and the others are tied, tethered to him. So we have to tie ourselves to Jesus. And this is what the sacraments do for us. They bind us to Jesus. But just that is not enough, because you still have to do the work. Jesus doesn't want to drag you to heaven. (laughs) You've got to put one foot in front of the other and walk. Jesus wants us to ascend to the Holy of Holies with him, with hands that are free of sin. Hands that have not grasped after what does not belong to us. Hands that have not struck another in anger. Hands that have not wagged a finger in judgment or worked only for our own self-interest. He wants us instead to have clean hands that have worked for the good of others, that have helped people in their time of need, that have embraced brothers and sisters in love, that have fed the hungry and clothed the naked and lifted up the downtrodden. Those are the clean hands that we need to embrace the cross. To climb this mountain with Jesus doesn't just take a strong heart, but a pure heart. A pure heart is unadulterated by greed or lust or anger or selfishness. It's pure in charity. It's pure in intention and in focus. It's a heart for God alone. A heart that loves what God loves and wants what God wants. Only a heart pure like that can withstand being broken by the unfathomable love that waits for us at the top of this mountain. A love so great that it encompasses both Calvary and Mount Tabor and indeed the entire universe. Our hearts are not up to that task, and that's why we pray, create in me a clean heart, O God. We need help. Just like Peter, James, and John, we need that glory of the transfiguration to help us to bear the pain and the scandal of the cross. In our lives, God often reveals himself in ways that we don't expect and so we fail to recognize. He reveals himself to us in suffering and trials and pain, both our own and that of others. Can we see him there? Do we recognize God in the beggar standing at the intersection? Do we recognize him in our neighbor who is suffering from depression or anxiety? Do we recognize him when we see him in the cancer ward or in the memory care facility? Do we recognize him in our own lives as we suffer our particular trials? You know, we don't expect God to look like this, but he does. He does. He looks like this for us because he loves us, and so he suffers with us. So we climb the mountain of the Lord, my friends, through our willingness to bear our share of hardship for the gospel. We climb the mountain by obeying the commandments to love God and to love one another the way that God loves us. 
and not doing that just as a general sentiment that's so easy to say, but by concrete actions, by putting one foot in front of us at a time to do what charity demands on a daily basis. That's how we climb the Lord's mountain, day by day, one step at a time. And whenever we slip and fall, we just have to look up to Jesus, who's walking ahead of us, carrying his cross. He looks back at all of those who follow him, and he says, rise, do not be afraid. See, the eyes of the Lord are upon those who fear him, upon those who hope for his kindness, as we sing in our psalm today. He is determined to get us to the top of that mountain, where he will not only show us his glory, but he will share his glory with us. Because on that day, our Lord promises the just will all shine like the sun in the kingdom of his Father. That's what we have waiting for us at the top. But for now, that glory is shining forth from the face of Christ as a beacon to light our way up that mountain, up through the cross to eternal life. May we always walk in that blessed light.